Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Notre Grow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Khan, and I'll be breaking down topics around education, growth, and culture with the intention to help your own growth journeys. Currently, I serve as the CEO at Constitutorial, where our team collectively promotes knowledge, encouragement, and community. One of the unique privileges of my work is the opportunity to really discover the various challenges that people face within themselves, their families, and overall community systems. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Nafisa Islam, the founder and leader of one of the hottest platforms out right now, Children of 1971. Nafisa, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your podcast. Um, it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, I love, you know, your the work that you produce and stuff and the insights that you've been able to gather through this podcast. So I'm excited. We at the Notre Grove podcast are big fans of Children of 71, 1971. And uh, we were supposed to have this conversation probably one to two months ago. <laughs> However, due to the lockdown, uh, we took a two month hiatus and this is actually one of our very first few episodes on our return. Yeah. So, yeah. first of all, I wanna say fantastic work on your recent fundraiser. Uh, before we get to the, you know, the meat and potatoes of Children of 71, I know that you folks have taken uh, a big lead in doing a fundraiser around the COVID crisis for those directly residing in Bangladesh. If you could take us through that a little bit as we uh, get to hear more about uh, the organization. Yeah, sure. So um, as obviously, as many people know, whoever's listening to this, COVID-19 has had a big financial impact all across the world. Um, specifically, I was concerned about Bangladesh and stuff because obviously it's a developing country. It doesn't have the infrastructure that um, is needed to kind of survive a pandemic like this. We, I mean, America hardly has it as well, as you guys probably know already. Um, so, and like everybody within Bangladesh, they're very close knit, you know, the virus is going to spread fast there. So when the, when the, COVID-19 pandemic was hit and, um, you know, a lot of our, we had a couple events lined up through Children 1971 and everything got canceled. Um, and I felt almost helpless. Like I was like, mm -hmm. how do we, you know, help this situation whatsoever and stuff because, um, you know, we have a following and we have people who are very willing to help in our community and stuff. And um, I, I really wanted to, do something that was the most efficient way to help um, our community in general. And that was thinking, obviously, Bangladesh, where money goes a long way there. Mm. Um, also, the fact that, like, you know, what is the biggest problem if a pandemic hits, right? It's going to be, first and foremost, it's going to be the economic consequences. So um, with that in mind, you think, okay, someone has if there's economic consequences, people can't go to work, what is going to be the biggest problem? It's going to be starvation, right? Like mm -hmm. people won't be able to feed their families. That's right. So literally, um, that was a big, I was like, okay, we need to feed people. That's, that's like the number one thing that we need to do because that's the, the most uh, prevalent problem. It's the, the issue that's going to hit the largest, right? Um, mm -hmm. And if we don't feed people, people are going to go out into the streets and stuff like that trying to work and, um, you know, continue their days as if the pandemic isn't going on, as if there's a coronavirus and the coronavirus will spread faster. So well, I had a um, chance to see the, uh, the funds raised so far. You guys are, you know, have done a, a lot of work in a short amount of time. So you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I, with this whole pandemic and stuff, I, we uh, our organization um, is not yet a nonprofit organization and stuff, but um, a lot of what I want to do is work with alongside nonprofits. So um, I wanted to work with a group that I knew I could trust mm -hmm. to give back to Bangladesh and deliver food there. So um, there was someone in my community who had a group and, um, you know, because I came on board and basically um, helped market and, build the group itself uh we were able to raise thirty thousand dollars in about eight weeks wow. um, yeah and so that was really wonderful um that 
And we were able to, because of that also, because we were able to raise the money so fast, we were able to expand the group and have multiple other groups working alongside wow. Bangladesh Food Bank, which is the, I guess you would say project. It's less so the organization, mm. but it's a project um, that under that is actually with like, you know, Children 1971. There's other groups that are working in Bangladesh mm -hmm. that are delivering food as well. Um, so with that, we were able to expand that way. We were able to get the army involved and um, get news coverage and things like that. And really how many people, people? How many people do you know that the food reached the final impact uh, as far uh, so far? Yeah. So um, we because it was thirty thousand dollars, we gave about four thousand bags out, and wow. four thousand bags um, it would feed for a family for for a week. So four thousand bags times four is about sixteen thousand people. So almost twenty thousand people and stuff, alongside other funds that we were receiving from Bangladesh as well and stuff. Um, the project itself, I think, has been well over 20,000 people. So oh. it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. I think it's, it's one of those uh, things that, you know, it's very, very critical and needed uh, during a crisis uh, such as COVID. And when you add things like uh, the extra layer of Ramadan and it being the holy month and uh, all the factors that play into that, um, it couldn't have been more timely, and I wish uh, you and your and all the collaborators a lot of great success moving forward in that initiative. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, clearly you are involved in humanitarian efforts, and as the founder at Children in 1971, you know, you have very, very strong connection to your culture and community. Professionally, yeah. you have a background in pharmaceuticals, from a, a life as a pharmacist to... Yeah uh beyond and beyond so take us through your childhood and um you know how you got to your career space and uh let, let's hear about that first yeah uh sure so um you know my career is very much um i'm still pretty young in my career uh mm -hmm. you know i graduated from pharmacy school about two years ago so i went through a six-year program um mm -hmm. at university which is a really great um pharmacy program in on the east coast and i kind of i guess i would say um and to be honest you know i kind of stumbled upon pharmacy you know mm. like i was applying to school like most people i wanted to be pre-med and go to uh med school mm. um i wanted to be a psychiatrist but my parents were like no you don't do that <laughs> so um i ended up getting into the pharmacy program and it was close by my house it was a great program it was really competitive to get into so yeah i went there <laughs> so six years as it's the program at Rutgers. yeah yeah it's the program at Rutgers. yeah and and you get through the six years and um and afterwards you know had you always wanted to did you always realize that you're gonna you know jump out of the clinical pathway because you know you and i share very similar uh career pathways post uh, med school grad school pharmacy school uh, so take us through the final few years of pharmacy school and what was going through your mind and your decision-making process. Yeah, no, I, I always think of you when I think about like alternative careers when you mm. like have a doctorate. Um, but yeah, so I graduated from pharmacy school. Um, before that, like in our last year of pharmacy school, it's actually very, very competitive to get um, like fellowships, which are mm -hmm. um, in the post, like in, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so those that experience was super um, stressful. And also just like, it taught me a lot about what I wanted because the fellowship process to get into, you know, to get a job after you graduated, you had to do back to back to back interviews with multiple companies. Um, you had to have a perfect CV. You had to know exactly what you wanted um, coming out of school. And, and this is for a pharmaceutical industry or uh, or even the um, in the line for becoming a pharmacist? I mean, if, oh. if you want to take us through like the, the, the two pathways, which yeah. one are you referring to? So for sure. Like, so there's, I, I, I think that um, this is where people get confused. Even people in pharmacy school don't know. Yeah. I actually taught an entire class mm -hmm. um, at U Sciences um, in Philadelphia and stuff about the different pathways in pharmacy. So uh I'll just go through it real quick. So you have people who are in six-year programs. Most pharmacy schools have 
it's like a four year program, but you can, you know, go straight from, you know, undergrad to mm. graduate program. So after that, um, in order to do something outside of retail, which is, you know, working at CBS at mm-hmm. Wayne Reed or, you know, what you think of a typical pharmacist as, mm-hmm. um, you have to undergo postdoctorate training. Um, so that could be a residency, mm-hmm. which is like more the clinical route and you can work in, an ho- in a hospital where you're basically doing medication. Um, like you get to look at your patient's medication, you're making sure that they're on the right medication, it's not interacting and stuff, they help out alongside yeah. doctors in the hospitals. And then there is the new pathway, which is um, something that has become like up and coming and stuff mm-hmm. the last couple, um, the last decade or so is pharmaceutical industry. So um, for example, I went to Johnson & Johnson, there's um, Bristol-Myers Squibb, there's oh. um, Novartis, like these big, big companies that make, you know, these vaccines for COVID-19 mm-hmm. or, you know, just like drugs in general. Um, you can get a role there as a postdoctorate fellow. And so um, both both pathways are extremely competitive, um, especially because there's just, you know, there's a huge issue within the pharmacy world in general of us not getting enough recognition as healthcare providers. Mm. Um, so within that, like, there's obviously a limitation to how much, how many people are needed, right? Like doctors are needed all the time, but pharmacy world is becoming so, um, what's it called? What is it almost cut throat because th- there's not as many people. It sounds like, it sounds like, uh, the defined roles are fewer and it's increasingly competitive. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, um, that's exactly what it is. And so when we went through this process, you it's before we graduate and stuff, you go through kind of a, um, I would think that almost everybody who has undergone the fellowship or residency process and stuff has undergone kind of a um, identity crisis because mm. you kind of assume that you're going to know exactly what you want to do. It's kind of like a doctor knowing what their specialty is, right? Yeah. Um, and the truth is, is that we don't get enough um, education on that. Like we didn't really understand like what our options were after college mm-hmm. until they basically were like oh you could go for this and you could go for this like never did i think that i would be working in the industry i didn't even so what, did you, what did you what did you do at and j because for uh, all the listeners and the viewers on youtube you know yeah. johnson and johnson is one of the largest uh healthcare and retail like organizations in the world and healthcare is uh one big part of their portfolio but you know we know them for baby lotion and 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 talcum powder and and all the household products as well so what did you get to do in j&j after earning your doctorate uh, through pharmacy school and now you're you know suddenly in industry Uh, any any memorable things you want to mention from there for other young people entering the field yeah Um, so I went to this postdoctorate fellowship that I had at Johnson & Johnson it was in the consumer field actually so um, everybody thinks about mm. the because that's their biggest competitor, but we're also like clean products, things like that. Mm-hmm. And we work alongside our sister company, which is Janssen. And yeah. that is the pharmaceutical industry and stuff. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my role, um, when I, I got this, I got this fellowship and I think I won't say that it's not due to hard work and stuff, but it was something that I didn't expect. And I, um, and I kind of had to carve my own path of what I wanted there because I didn't know oh. at the time, like what exactly I was going to get out of the scholarship. So okay. it was really cool because the consumer industry is, um, I think it's more up and coming now and stuff because mm-hmm. people are trying to self-medicate all the time. They're always on the internet. People are trying to understand like, you know, how can I not go to the doctor and just like help myself do supplements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also herbals and things like mm-hmm. that. So I guess like, for me, that was actually a huge thing for me because um, I'm also not a huge believer of always taking medication, right? Like mm. our fam- I think that like it's a Bengali thing, right? Or mm-hmm. like a South Asian thing that you don't always um, believe it's in. Alternate pathways. It's not always just like the, the hardcore like pharmaceutical drugs that you got to get a prescription for. There's so many herbal and holistic remedies. Go, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So 
and like you know our parents always gave us like labu and honey and stuff to like feed our Russian ada Yeah. Vix, I mean this Vix kind is uh, holistic cuz Vix is kind of uh, a mainstay in all uh South Asian repairs, you know, yeah. health repairs. So, um with that and stuff, like you know, me being in the consumer industry, I think it opened my eyes to I guess like the a lot of the ways that we can heal ourselves that mm. isn't through medication and stuff. Obviously, I'm still a big believer in medication and you need it, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially for cancer and things like that and what not, but I started thinking about it in a very holistic sense. Um, you know, how does someone cure themselves of ailments in general? So, um, I I got to ask you about this connection. Yeah. Um uh, children of 1971 one of the highlights in the in the mission statement or the purpose is around healing. Yeah. How how was that experience in your fellowship sort of and the healing aspect of it? How would you, you know, looking back at it say it's connected to, you know, starting children of 1971 and was there any connection there around healing and the messaging around consumer engagement? Um I think for me when I was thinking about healing Um I think about what like and this is part of my fellowship experience mm-hmm. I would always look for like the underlying cause like I would be like okay so why does someone have get sick so easily or mm-hmm. why does someone have depression or why does someone or why are they more likely to have heart attacks or things like that like I was always thinking about things like before the actual event illness. yeah like before the event, actual yeah. what is something that comes up, right? Yep. Um so I think about things in a very holistic sense and I'm a, I'm all about preventative care, which is what consumer industry is, right? It's like to prevent mm-hmm. illnesses from happening. So when I'm thinking about, you know, prevent prevention and stuff, a lot of prevention has to happen from the mind. And I think that that's kind of where I started, you know, Mm. um thinking about things because i was also at the time i had um i was very much into fitness and stuff and i really mm-hmm. believe that fitness and like nutrition and stuff played a big role in prevention as well of illnesses mm. and then i realized like um you know besides that like how else do people get sick right mm-hmm. you get sick because of trauma um mm. and i know that i feel as though um this is where my mind kind of goes into a deep dive and many people can't like find me here but like i really believe that because of trauma because of you know living in poverty maybe or uh living in a situation where you're not the greatest you end up you know not eating well or your mindset that is not well and stuff and you're more likely to get sick like most um i guess so you're like, So you're a big believer in the connection of the mind, the body, the spirit yes. and how that can be um addressed to help us, you know, achieve the best preventative medicine outcomes that we're looking for. Yeah. Uh is that about right? No, you're you're spot on. I know. Um I yeah. think when it comes to like my outlook on the two biggest fears I have around preventative medicine Yeah. I think my number two like the like the two thing, the top two things that I fear the most are like stress and sugar. It's like these two things. It's like everything's sort of connected to cortisol levels, high stress, low stress, its effect on our body, uh and how it can not only our mindset and the anxiety, depression and all the other stuff around it, but everything below the eyebrows and the rest of the body. And when it comes to sugar, um without making it any more granular um <laughs> uh, breaking it down to the sugar level it's um it's one of those things i fear per- personally the most because i feel like sugar is connected to diet and it can and you heal the gut heal the mind and there's this like bio like this gut brain axis as they call it yeah. um so i i really want to touch upon the growth of children 1971 in the next segment but it sounds like you're you know education history through pharmacy school uh completing that and then going on to you know doing your fellowship at Johnson and Johnson um it really brought a lot of your passions together as far as uh, addressing mental health to consumer engagement to healing 
what advice would you have on the academic side for youth um, either considering one of your fields or the several fields that you um, took your life into, you know, which is really common for folks in their 20s. You're never going to necessarily be at the finish line you kind of thought. It's, the finish line is going to move around here and there, and it's, it's all, you know, for everyone else's betterment. So what are your, uh, what's your advice before we leave the education section? Yeah, um, well, I will definitely say that something that I did within my fellowship as well, because that was still a learning experience for me. Um, and, you know, before that, I went out and I networked and I asked all the questions to the people who I wanted to be like. So if there was someone who I saw like during my rotation or, you know, um, I was stalking on LinkedIn and stuff and they had somewhat of a path that I wanted, you know, or I could see myself in it. I actually sat them down and I asked them for, you know, 15 to like maybe 30 minutes of their time and stuff just to talk to them because what I realized, and I think that this goes with me interviewing people for children and stuff, I only learn things um, through other people's experience, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I think that that's a lot of why children comes up. But like, when you go out and ask those questions to people that you admire and stuff, you can see their mindset and you can understand what whether or not something is for you or not. Mm -hmm. And um it's not like a job interview. It's like understanding like someone's past and like you, I've known like where there've, there've been people I've like interviewed or have just talked to and I get so excited. Like I remember being so in the zone, but because they were doing something that they love and I love that they were doing that. And I was like, I wish I could be like that. I got so um, motivated by them. And that's mm -hmm. why I am where I am today because of the people who I allowed me to talk to them, honestly. I think um, you've captured it beautifully. And I think uh, if there's one thing I'd want to reiterate to young people, take that shot. Do not be afraid of speaking to someone that's a professional or in their career or a potential mentor. Oftentimes, folks in situations like that don't have young people every day coming up to them because they don't find that nerve. So when there's a young, uh, confident young person, especially a young woman like Nafisa, like, oh man, folks will take their time aside to, you know, reteach and pay it forward. And I can't help but think about Kobe, uh, the late Kobe Bryant, because we all came off this Michael Jordan documentary. And, you know, it's that one ability to ask the right questions and get yourself inside that person's space to kind of start, you know, a, a great mentorship relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, on that note, it's been such a pleasure hearing about your education journey and how that's led to the start of children, Nafisa. If it's all right, we're going to take a quick uh, first break and we'll be back with the growth section. Okay. She's dependent. She's my man and wife. Peckham preacher, giving bad advice. She just does the spending and then I pay the price. Trying to be Khalise, but she always tricked me twice. And we're back to the Notagro podcast, Children of 1971 with Nafisa. Nafisa, we had a chance to hear about your academic pathway into a world that, you know, started out with maybe one path, but pharmacy school, lo and behold, the doctorate program yielded two, three options um, from which you chose, you know, experience in industry with Johnson & Johnson. And pretty soon, you know, how did all those experiences contribute to the start of children? When was that uh, moment? And if you could think back, like, when did you have this idea? Take us through that. Um, yeah. So it's so interesting. I think that um, start of children was kind of like serendipitous and stuff. Because um, when I had received news of my fellowship and stuff, I was actually... Um, not sure what I really wanted. Like I, I got this fellowship and I wasn't really sure if this was the path for me. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I had spent all this time interviewing people and like asking for their, their knowledge and stuff. Um, and I continued to do that, like, you know, throughout this time. So I think that like one of the things that came up with children, it was actually, um, I had a partner before and she had 
And at the time, I was really into fitness, as I, as I had mentioned before. I'm actually a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. um, all goes back to, you know, trying to do um, holistic health, right? Mm -hmm. But she, she was very much interested in why I became a personal trainer and the fact that I was also a pharmacist. And she wanted to interview me. And um, this is the first time I was asked to be interviewed ever. And I wow. was like, that's funny. Like, why would you interview me, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I was really, you know, um, flattered by it. Mm -hmm. and, but it also made me think that I am like nobody. You know, like I thought of myself as like nobody at the time. And I was like, there are so many amazing people who are doing great endeavors you know, like this, like side passions or full-time passions and stuff that are very like out of the norm. Um, and I wanted to interview them. Like I wanted to know their brain the same way mm. I wanted to know like other people's brain because yeah. I want to know about myself more. Yeah. Um, so we, I kind of was like, Hey, like let's start uh, interviewing people like in the yeah. community because I want to know what's out there. And that's kind of how it started. It started before my fellowship in like June or July or whatever mm. um, of 2018. And we kind of started off small. We started off with branding and like things like that. We didn't really know what we wanted. It was very, very like simple and um, innocent. Yeah. And then, um, you know, within my fellowship, it actually helped a lot because it made me realize like what I was good at, like, which was like marketing and branding and like understanding people. And also, um, I guess like research and stuff, like I was very good at that. So that actually played a role in my success in my fellowship too. So both of that and, you know, people really loved that I was doing this on the side. Um, going forward and stuff, I realized like this was something I really wanted to carry on. Like this was something I needed because mm -hmm. I I don't think that I could even explain how much I learned about myself mm. by talking to so many other people and that whole journey in itself was so important to me that I was like this is something that I need to keep moving forward and um you know like everybody's like focus on your career focus on your career and I was like listen like there is something bigger here and I feel it like, you know, like, you who can't, cares, man? Career? Yeah, like, who cares about my career? I want to do, do this. And I think it's, there, there are a lot of people I've been fortunate to meet, but not everyone has that privilege to just kind of throw everything else aside and just jump in to follow what they love. Yeah. And folks are like, Hey, focus, you know, do this and, you know, focus on yourself. And you're like, I am this through children. So if you, if I'm going to ask you to put yourself into the mindset of your followers, you guys have over 5,000 followers on Instagram. If you could randomly sample three folks in the past two, in the past three years from your following, what would be some two or three milestones that you're audience enjoyed and and not personal ones for you and the other collaborators and the fantastic team uh but from the from the users and the members and the followers what would you say are some of the would be some of their highlights of children um yeah of the actual of, of your followers of your followers yeah um i just want to say something really quick um just about the previous thing though i did not just jump out of my career and stuff. I still was working. Yeah, um, yeah. But I just wanted to make that clear and stuff. I know that it sounds like I have a lot of privilege and I do, but um, it is like I did work and I am so working. Oh yeah, and it's not. It's nowhere to the side. It's still you still have to do that. It's just <laughs> I'm adding children on top of that to everyone. So, Harden, yeah, exactly. uh, let me just uh, rephrase that, but. Without, how did you add this to what you already had? When everyone's like, focus on J&J, focus on the fellowship, focus on the pharmaceutical path, focus on the next step, focus on the promotion. Mm. That's fine. I'm, I'm doing all that. But how did you, you know, what would you say some of the, the highlights were for the audience members? Um, so I guess like for children, um, highlights and stuff, they're definitely the number one highlight that comes to mind was definitely our comedy show mm. um, and I think that 
everybody really saw the value and you were there. Yeah, um, yeah. Was... So thank you so much for coming. And I'm so, I was so full of gratitude for that opportunity to bring together all Bengali comedians and have it in like a spot in New York and bring people of various identities, of various like Bengali identities and stuff together to just laugh. Because I don't even remember what was happening in January, but I remember how, I guess, like, everybody was just so sad at the time. I forget what it was. Like, it, it, it may was, have been, it may, it may have been, like, right after Kobe's thing. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, all of us thought the worst thing that could have possibly happened to humanity in 2020 happened. <laughs> Kobe's thing. So, everyone, it, it was, like, a really funky uh, mood. Yeah. And it just happened to uh, be scary knowing that something is brewing um, out east and headed over here. So I think it may have been one of the, like the last month, month and a half before New York City went into shutdown. And as one of the audience members, uh, Nipa and I, we had an incredible time. Uh, and, you know, I can go on and on, but um, what was so special about that night for you uh, besides collecting everyone together that was, that was such amazing uh, creatives? Um, so I think that for me, that specific night, um, I had, you know, I, like I said, I had a partner before she had left and stuff. I had been building out my team. Um, and I was trying to figure out like what children wants. Cause I felt like that it was very, very special. You know, like I, I, you feel, you felt the energy that night. And I think mm -hmm. that everybody in the room felt it as well. And I was trying to contain that energy and like bring it to life, you know, and I didn't know how to do that up until that point. So mm. this whole comedy show, it actually came out of nowhere. Like I was like, we were talking to a random Bengali memes page or whatever. And I was like, it'd be really fun to have a comedy show. And I was like, okay, we're doing it. And like within the next like month, like couple weeks and stuff, I figured out the venue. I got the Bengali art comedians together and stuff. We had to switch our venues um, last minute. Mm -hmm. um, it was so hectic and like my team just like helped me and we pulled it off and it was a huge success even though there was like a couple things that went wrong throughout the night everybody felt that energy that I was I was like trying to have everybody understand like I was like this is the energy that I feel all the time within children and I didn't yeah. really express that so I think that was really really special because of that like I was able to bring my vision pretty much into an event and it was wonderful. It was, it was very special. It was the first time that there was an all Bengali lineup for something as new to our community as stand-up comedy. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like when, we, when, you got, when you and the team at Children got us all together, we realized, oh my gosh, stand-up comedy within Bengali people isn't like this new rare thing. It's happening. We just haven't had the opportunity to see everyone together to realize there is a critical mass. Um, it was it was it was magical. Um, and shout outs to all the fantastic merch you guys created. Uh, before uh, we go on to the next uh, final break uh, in the growth section, where do you see things going for children? I, I'm sure you folks had a very ambitious 2020 game plan. This month we're working on this initiative, and then we're going to go do that one, and then and, then, and now with all of, us, um, all of us in lockdown, a lot of that has to be tweaked. How has that pivot and that shift up been going for you all? Well, um, for sure, I, you know, like you said, there has been a huge pivot and stuff. Um, like I said, like one of the biggest things I've been trying to do is events because that's how I feel as though I can really show people like what we are. And that was really disappointing because we had like literally two to three events lined up for the rest of this year. We were all planning it like hardcore mm -hmm. and they all got canceled. So it was really disappointing, especially for my team and stuff who like a lot of them had just come on board. They were so excited for this because they had saw the comedy show. They saw the success of that and they wanted to be a part of that like energy and that magic. Yeah. And so what we realized we had to do is get organized, like really the last couple um, weeks especially what so, some of my teammates they, they call it is they're trying to extract my brain and put it on paper pretty much and um, so we can kind of have a protocol and stuff for 
me kind of to step out of my role as the marketer, the person who handles events, the like the person who does everything. Like I need to stop doing that. They need to sit you down and corner you and then like have all these Zoom cameras like, Nafisa, how would you tackle this? Nafisa, how, what would you do in this situation? And That's exactly, um, I'm not even alive. That's exactly what we're doing. Um, how did I guess that would be useful for the team? I mean, I'm, I'm teasing from one team leader to another. Yeah, yeah. We never want to be that rate limiting step. Yeah. We want people to fly. And I'm sure you know that a lot of your teammates have even so much incredible like marketing ideas that you haven't even come up with yet. But it's like, they want to make sure it's good with the boss. So how are you making those passes to make sure everyone is, you're creating multiple lanes so everyone can really do what they uh, are meant to do? No, uh, and it's so funny that we're talking and I'm glad because I know you understand like the difficulty of that also. Um, it, for me, it's like, it's letting go of control. Mm. And I think that especially because I've been, you know, I've had like a few people with me, you know, my um, co-founder Tori, she's been three months with me the entire time and stuff, but we've had people in and out kind of, um, and now we're at like a solid group, mm -hmm. but nobody really understands like the vision, right? Like always. And um, so it's really like me being able to verbalize that, right? And not just show it. Um, me coming up with plans and stuff, me doing team building activities to have people feel comfortable working together. Me saying that this is okay, like you run with it. Like I think that I trust you, you can do it. And if something is not perfect, like I have to get over that, you know? And I think that um, as a perfectionist, like also like, um, mm. you know, with, sorry. Huh? I said, I, I had to say sorry, as soon as you dropped the word perfectionist, I had to offer my condolences immediately because that can be um, paralyzing uh, to try to make things perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my most, it's one of the words that I want to like mold the most perfectionist to, to just be easy with it, man. You know, so go ahead. No, I, I completely agree. I think it is, it is very paralyzing. It really does. It is a great limiting step. Like perfectionism is the great limiting step, you know? Um, and I had to get over that. Like I, I am still struggling with it because like obviously Children of 1971 has been my baby and stuff and I care so much about it like and its mission. But like people care. Like like I built the team and I, I trust them. They wouldn't be on my team if they weren't there, like, you know, someone I trusted. So like I have to trust them with the small things too. And um, that means that that things are going to be a little slow for us, you know, and because we need to have everybody learn and that's fine. Right. And that's like convincing myself and also knowing that that's fine because it all plays out into the grand scheme of things, which is basically us expanding and being able to work on other projects and things like that. And like not having everything on my shoulders so I can do my pharmacy career as well, because mm -hmm. that is actually very important to me you know um as well like even though this is important to me like that's just as important for me to live that life and i feel as though um we the, a big part of it is just like trusting like trusting the people around me and giving them those opportunities and teaching them like being like i we have interns right now and stuff and all i want them to do is learn you know because i learned so much through this process and like of how to do social media marketing and how to talk to people, how to do PR, literally like things I would have never thought I would have done. Like I want them to have that experience too and stuff. And it's not fair if I expect them to be perfect, you know, going into this because I definitely was not perfect. So, and for, you know, this being the growth section, yeah. you know, I look at growth and perfectionism as, as such like opposite, kind of words like yeah. perfectionism has this idea of like it has to be one way and, and there can only be one way and growth is like kind of getting past that and it's that next level so yeah. kudos to you on your growth journey and to all the growth uh that the team is enjoying at children of 71 mm -hmm. with the quarantine here i'm sure uh it's forcing you all to do work a little differently and um good luck on letting go of your control management stuff. It's, it's a journey that I've been in um, 
you know, on the wrong side of plenty of times when I was younger. And as I've grown, you know, you want to figure out how, where you, where I can let go of control. Cause I know that leader and that leader and that leader can do it well better than I can. And, and wh where I kind of still need to be involved because my experience lends uh, a greater uh, lens to the, to that particular situation. Yeah. So as far as growth, thank you so much, Nafisa. We've learned so much. To all of our listeners and viewers in the Not A Girl podcast, we are going to go to our final break. We pick the pace up and go off script for the culture section. We'll be right back with Children of 1971 with Nafisa Islam. Girl, don't worry about me. But if you're ever unhappy, then maybe, baby, I must let you go Let you go Baby, now it's best here to lay me down and rest here And we're back with the culture segment on the Notre Girl podcast for a very, very special episode, Children of 1971 with Nafisa Islam. Before we left for our final break, we were speaking about growth and growing teams and leadership and um, all for the greater good. And as we hit up the culture section, we have to start slicing and dicing between the two cultures and the many, many cultures that are being bridged at Children of 71. So I got to start off, you know, um, I'll start off with asking you a question and I'll tell you where I was and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a deep dive into the compare and contrasts. You ready? Uh, where have you grown up most of your life? Um, I grew up in New Jersey. All right. I've grown up mostly in Queens. Name the top two things you see different about Bengalis in Queens versus Bengalis in Jersey. Go. Uh, oh, my God. Um, people in Queens are definitely more... Um, passionate and stuff, I guess, about like certain political issues and whatnot. You don't really see that in the Jersey mindset. And also, um, they're like, there's so much more like, I don't, I wouldn't say gossip, but like, I guess in Jersey, there's like the crew is just large, like everybody's friends with each other, like everybody knows each other because there's not as many. So um, there is a huge cult culture of gossip, which I don't really love. And I've mm. heard in New York too, but I haven't seen it like straight up. It happens in New York City. The gossip is definitely there. Yeah. And, it all, and to your point, it also depends on like circles. Like when I was a kid and it was like the early 90s, uh, whichever circle there was and whichever you're attached to, there's always going to be some sort of gossip. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you went to or uh, when, have, you, have you been to Bangladesh? Yeah, I have. Actually. When was the last time you've, you've gone? Um, and why don't you take us through the mindset of a typical 20 year old in Bangladesh versus a typical 20 year old in your neighborhood. Bangladesh okay. person, go. Um, so I went to Bangladesh a couple years ago as a 20 year old and I was actually doing a internship there. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was very um, not cultured, especially like within like speaking Bangla. So I had really bad Bangladesh and at this internship, mm. I was being made fun of all the time by everybody like who I was working with and stuff because of my Bangladesh. Um, I was super unaware of how down to earth people are or like, you know, and just like the work culture in general in Bangladesh is like super laid back compared to here. Um, but I didn't really get to like enjoy, like, you know, get to interact with too many people my age. But I did realize in Bangladesh and stuff, they are, like, the people who do it big there, like, you know, who are very much, like, Americanized and stuff, they are way more Americanized than I ever was. Like, mm. they have, like, pool parties and they, like, drink and all this stuff. And, like, they do it, like, all the time. And I went to, like, one event and stuff there and I was just in shock at how more Americanized they were than I was, like. I feel like I'm, I was more Bengali in traditions, you yeah. know, and like um, mannerisms and stuff, mm -hmm. right? Because I was like someone who my mom made me cook and stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. we, we, they always wanted to keep so much of our culture with us. Like I, I was always an um, obedient girl. Yeah, yeah. Mom, like uh, surf jaw. So I think that that was 
the funniest thing I think between the two cultures and stuff because if, if it's all right I gotta like address that I, I've seen that a lot because I had a chance to live in Bangladesh for a year and a half right. and growing up here in Queens I was like this you know lower income maybe middle income immigrant quid in Queens so when I moved there for like a year and a half all the kids I went to like school with were like rich Bangladeshi Dhaka kids and they had like these nice cars and even though it was like the Honda Accord it was like the top of the line Honda Accord yeah and even at some of these houses they were like eating with like a spoon and a fork and there's like a way there's like courses and they're like I was like what the freak are you so I felt like I was growing up in a lot more of like a traditional sense in like Queens than because in when you're growing up in Jersey or Queens or New York our parents are like, no, you got to maintain the culture, maintain the culture, maintain the culture. But you're for growing up in Dhaka, they're like, oh, screw it. We're going to take vacations to like Singapore, Dubai. Like they're doing all these sorts oh, of like jet setting type of stuff. I was like, what is this life? It's like crazy rich Dhakayas, like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, wow. Um, so when you, so now that you've experienced culture, both, you know, the New Jersey, New York City, Tri-State area, you've, uh, you know, you've, lived in Brooklyn or you still do throughout whether the quarantine or not how would you hope that the young people that are starting to sign on by the dozens and follow children what type of cultural balance do you envision for the children audience what's your vision for the 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 cultural takeaways for your audience um so I think that like one thing that like you said it's it's hard to balance because we are a little different it's kind of even hard to describe how different we are and stuff um you know like personality wise and things like that but i think that like what i want people to understand is that we all kind of grew up the same way like you know like our parents still wanted the same things from from us even if our friends were different like you may have grown up with more bengalis and stuff i grew up with all indian people some people may have grown up with all white people and stuff like those are those things are okay right and like those are part of our identities and whatnot but you know the underlying thing that really connects us is our language like our parents and where they come from and the way that they grew up and stuff so like and i know that like that also varies right people can have been in taka like you said people are rich right like people Mm -hmm. really rich um, or they could have been in the villages, right? And they could have came here um, with a winning lottery ticket and stuff and done that. But, like, they all love the same things. Like, they love, you know, um, Piaju and Halloween mm-hmm. and stuff during Ramadan. Or they love, you know, Rabin, Rabin, uh, Tibor, Rabin, uh and, and Nozril Giti and yeah. Kavita and this, exactly. that. Exactly. And it's, and it's crazy, like... When I grew up here, my mom, and you got a chance to meet moms yeah. uh, several times, and she was like, she's always singing Nozrul Giti, Rabindranath uh, Chongit, and Ghazal songs in, in Dawats. Yeah. And we grew up on so much of it. And then when I went to Bangladesh, um, people my age weren't really exposed to that. And it's almost like back in Bangladesh, there's classism. So a lot of aunties who are really fantastic cooks aren't allowed to be in the kitchen because it's frowned upon due to societal prejudice and discrimination and classism which we all hate um so it's weird how having the opportunity to grow up in like queens jersey pennsylvania detroit wherever like florida where i have a bunch of family we kind of had this inside scoop to like bangladeshi culture from the 70s and 80s that kind of never went away they like packaged it they brought it to us and here um, you know, thank gosh for uh, ent- an entity like yours where we're getting to relearn the history, uh, where it all came from, and like to your point, the root cause of these symptoms. Um, so I, got, have, I have two questions before we sign off on the culture in today's uh, amazing, amazing episode, which I had a lot of fun in. What's your message for non-Bengali, non-South Asian heads who are like children of 71 what's this and then they'll follow in they'll see the bright colors and what's your message for those who want to appreciate what you're doing without appropriating it yeah um so i guess it's like and this actually goes with something that happened recently and stuff um i don't know if you've heard of brianna taylor but you know uh, she was a black 
um, young black woman who passed away in Louisiana because of police brutality. Yeah, um, and we did a, I, I was a part of a Muslims for Brianna kind of phone campaign, phone banking to call the Louisiana, um, you know, like the police and things like that to get justice for her. And I think that like when I think about other groups and stuff and like incorporating them or, you know, them looking at our page and stuff, like I, I look at our page as a page of advocacy, right? Like it, it's a page of building healing and stuff, but we're also advocating for our culture. And I, like you were talking about with classism and things like that, we are, because of these things, we are, are embarrassed of our culture, right? Uh, or embarrassed of the things that make us Bengali. Um, and so we have to become advocates of ourselves first in order to become advocates of other people. And I want people to kind of understand that, like here we are appreciating our culture and stuff. And like, because we can love ourselves and stuff, we are able to appreciate other people's cultures as well, you know? And um, that's why I don't, I don't like to make children yeah, of course, we're Bengali and stuff like that, but I don't limit it to just um, people who are purebred uh, Bengali and stuff. Like, we have had mis mixed people on our page as well and things like that. And um, it's about, like, being inclusive, like, you know, of just, like, differences in general. And that's the kind of thing that I want people to understand. So if they are trying to appropriate, like, our bindis or, or what we do and stuff, it's, like, there's no point like you we're doing this in order to continue to have appreciation and stuff and to advocate for ourselves and stuff and we would appreciate if you did the same for your culture because um that's what we need like we need more like self-love and i think that that's how we heal like intergenerational trauma and how we can help other people as well you know um because if you don't love yourself, like how can you love anyone else, right? I know this went, this went really far, but I Dog, hope this is self help. <laughs> this is Tony Robbins and uh, Gary <laughs> V and um, uh, any fantastic, uh, inspirational speakers. <laughs> I, I gotta ask for like, I gotta ask a few silly things. Yeah. Um, how much did it piss you off that Tiger King became a huge hit and like the Tiger and the Children of 71? Did you feel a little anything about it or did it kind of help the jacket? <laughs> I gotta ask about because we're talking about culture. Oh yeah, about the tiger, and take us through that. Okay, so for the whole, so um, for people who don't know and stuff, we actually have a jacket that we're gonna release and stuff. We're in the process of making it because of COVID nineteen production got shut down, um, but it has a big tiger on the back and um, Tiger King. I was just like. I don't want to. I don't want to go there, but like I was just like, this is such a white person thing. Yeah, it's like what it's the a freak. White person thing, uh, you know, like we don't, we we wouldn't do that. And the yeah, they're in the jungle, and we're in the house, and we try to avoid tigers and respect their way. <laughs> like back in Bangladesh and, and the Beng and the Bay of Bengal, we're not like keeping them as house pets and stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, like who who does that? And like that's like brutality in general yeah. you know like that is that's an animal like abuse right so um i didn't watch that show because it yeah. took me off but the entire concept of it and stuff um and it just reminds me that like god like at least like our people don't do that like you know with the because if, if it's a part of your culture there's nothing to like you know you don't you don't go out and freaking make it into some weird exotic thing <laughs> because there's a place for them, the jungle, and like in their natural habitat. And there's a place for us in our natural habitat. You don't want to mix the two, uh, like people in the South what's, or- What's your mindset on that? Like, I, that's more so the question, I guess. Like, I mean, let's think about it. We had Thundercats when I was a kid and yeah. it was like this whole thing of cats. And one of the Thundercats was named Bengali. So oh. I was like mind freaking blown. It wasn't the main, it wasn't one of the main ensemble people. It was like a special one. They, they allowed in like twice, twice a as, month, as, once a month. As color people, you know. As like a, as like a, a, a token. It was, a, it was <laughs> a token tiger, right? So yeah. it was like white skin. It was like Bengali. And like the lino was like, so I was like, holy crap. 
it was the first time in pop culture I heard anything close to like where we're from, Bengali or Bengal. Yeah. Then we, we keep growing up and there's like the Jungle Book and Shere Khan and uh, all these references. So we kind of like became cool to have like the tiger uh, represent us something uh, stronger than a cyclone or flood or famine or poverty, or homelessness, all the stuff that usually the, the you know, uh, is the media depicts with our history. It's like the identity of the tiger, which is what people find so cool, right? It's like someone that is like, can strike at any moment and has so much grace and elegance at the same time and things like that. And people are literally trying to capture that and they can't. It's like the same thing of, uh, as appropriation. Sounds you know, like a political speech, like a Bangladeshi Sheikh Mujib speech. It's like, <laughs> it's like as the tigers, we can strike at any time. I was like, what? Where are we going with this? Oh, man. Um, so I, I think with tiger culture, I mean, being brown people and y'all got the tiger on the jacket and like, whether it's Gucci this, Fendi that, I think certain kind of animals and pers- are personified with certain regions and we're lucky that that will remain for our culture. Um, I know we've, we've, we've talked about this earlier, but for the final question, uh, what can we look forward to in 2020 from children? I know the group is regrouping and rather than do something um, quicker than needed, you guys are going to make sure to take a little bit more time to make it uh, exactly what you're looking for without it being perfect. So what can we look forward to? Um, I think the number one thing that we're trying to um, accomplish right now is like authenticity and just keeping our voice in general. Um, you know, inshallah, we once COVID is over and stuff like that, we'll be able to have a fundraiser or some sort of event. Um, still, I, I won't count on any of those things. But really though, um, I'm really excited for my team who is amazing and stuff to really like allow them to release their ideas and their concepts and stuff and like kind of take over like the ideation aspect of it and like do more um, like interactive type stuff through our page and like also expanding to other platforms as well, which is like very, very necessary for us. Um, So I'm excited to like have other voices besides like mine and like, you know, Tories and whoever else has already been on there be more represented because I think that that is what children is. Like it is an accumulation of voices, not just mine. Um, and I'm excited for that to be represented um, going forward. So I hope that everybody li- likes that too. And they feel more represented as, as well. I've definitely, uh, as, as someone who's been following uh, everything very closely and having attended the shows, it's definitely reached that, you know, part of the life cycle where we're starting to recognize children as an entity, an ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, and of, of rising leaders. So uh, we are hoping to have this drop before our Eid celebration. So on behalf of your entire team, do you have any Eid messages for the Notergrow viewers and listeners and all the special friends uh, of ours that are going to be uh, listening into this episode? Yeah. Um, if you are going to be celebrating Eid, dress up, um, you know, put on your best clothes, eat as much as you want, and also take pictures and tag children of 1971 will feature you on our page. Yeah, so um, I'm excited for Eve for just like the ability to dress up. You gave me the opportunity to dress up today because quarantine doesn't allow you to do that, but it's a really good day to feel good. So I think that I'm excited for everybody to, you know, be able to play play dress up during that time. Thank you. And that makes two of us. I got the Puma tracksuit, so I always got to get a good tracksuit rotation. You always got the most, like, elite tracksuits on and stuff like that with matching shoes. This is just me reaching, like, dad comfort level. I'm just like, all right, I've I've done enough. I'm I'm ready to just chill. Just throw in a tracksuit, especially for children of 71. Uh, it's <laughs> such uh, a pleasure having you on our show. To all of our listeners and to our viewers on YouTube, uh, Children of 1971, once again, it is one of the uh, fastest growing uh, brands around healing uh, and around the uh, Bengali and South Asian diaspora overall, particularly with a focus on people from Bangladesh and, and, you know, um, and any connection to that history. It's not only been one of the most enjoyable uh, 
you know, organizations to follow across all the branding. But as the shows are coming together for live shows and virtual shows and meetups and, and also now this whole uh, charitable endeavors, it's just growing in different ways that I could have never personally imagined. I'm so proud of you personally and all of your fantastic teammates and all of your, uh, the leaders on your team. And of course the growing community at children, uh, to all of our guests, please follow them on Instagram and keep an eye out for them for all of the, all that's coming out in uh, 2020 and to all of our listeners. Um, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Grow podcast. Uh, please uh, take a page out of their book and children push that culture up, keep going, inspire others, mentor others, ask the right questions, involve yourself. And as always, always, always remember to pay it forward, folks. Pay it forward. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Bye. Peace.